Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, last week I brought you inside Sphere in Las Vegas, where U2 UV is running between now and December. But the one thing I didn't talk about, but have consistently thought about, and I'm not joking, uh, since I got back, is how much easier the tech side of things has made travel. I've been lucky enough to travel quite a bit as part of my job. Uh, Before this Las Vegas trip, we flew United Airlines via Chicago onto Vegas. And oh my days, their app is next level. Not only do you get the usual bits of, you know, you create an account uh, and you can, you know, save your credit card, you can get your gate information and all the rest, but there was so much more in this one little app. The information was constantly updated because normally when I'm traveling, I'll go into Google or I'll go to flight radar and see if the other flight has taken off or whatever. All of that information is already within the app. You can see when it's landed. You can see your gate. If there's a gate change, it comes up instantly with the app. But there's also a countdown timer to when your connecting flight is taking off. So I landed in Chicago. I think we had about 90 minutes or so. So I got a bit of grub, went for a walk around, stretched the legs and all the rest. But I could see the entire time when the boarding for my next flight was going to take up like in the what's it called the dynamic island of the 14 Pro Max there was like literally a little countdown timer I was all about it Um, as I said you could add your car details so you could pay or you had to pay for whatever you buy in flight via the app all of the entertainment options were within the app as well so if you didn't want to watch the little screen like if you're a glasses wearing human like me and maybe the screen was a little too far away if you took your glasses off you could watch it on your phone Very handy, I'd imagine, for kids. You know, if you've got kids on the plane, you forget to download stuff, but they have their tablets, you can just put the app on and they can watch whatever they want. Um, And as I said, it really did add to the experience, which is why I'm still thinking and talking about it now. I don't know if this is just me being an absolute dork, but, you know, so many, and not just airlines, but companies have digital offerings, whether that is their websites or their apps. Not all of them are great. Not all of them have good user experiences or user interfaces. And not all of them make it less stressful to do whatever it is you're trying to do with this service. So I'd love to know, you know, are there other services that nail their digital offering? And I'm not going to ask about the bad ones because I'm sure my inbox will be flooded with people having a moan. And you can have a moan if you want. Feel free to moan, okay? But who, what are the businesses that are absolutely nailing it in terms of their app or their website that really has enhanced the experience that you have when you deal with them? Email me, techtalk at newstalk.com. And again, I'm fully aware that this is me being a dork. I, I, so many people have asked me about Vegas and all I have spoken about, aside from YouTube being great, which they were, and if you missed last week's show, listen back on the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud, because I got to speak to The Edge and to Adam Clayton and to members of the crew and the production staff and all the rest, and that was amazing. But I'm just so excited by the innovation that I saw in terms of Sphere. And also the innovation in terms of things like the United app, which again is just confirming that I am a dork, um, which I'm guessing is not news to anyone. Anyway, on we go. One of the key areas of concern when it comes to life in the digital age relates to our young people online. Parents often contact me to say they feel powerless when it comes to parenting in the era of social media because they feel as though they're on the back foot. But my next guest is building a solution to try and tackle some of the core issues such as cyberbullying, extortion and grooming. Rena Maycock is the founder of Kilter and she joins me now. Rena, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, can you just introduce us to the notion of Kilter? 
So we're an early stage tech startup. We're developing child protection software for smartphones that's aimed at detecting cyberbullying, grooming and suicide and self-harm language in messaging apps, specifically encrypted messaging apps. So we're in development now and we've spent a good few years in, in perpetual fundraising mode, as you might uh, as you might know. Um, but it's a deep tech solution. So we knew it was going to be a fairly costly exercise. Uh, we knew it would take about €4 million Euro to get us to market. Uh, and €4 million Euro as a seed raise anywhere in the world is a fruity raise. In Ireland, it's considered impossible. Um, so we've spent a number of years applying for big grant funding. Um, and because we have that, you know, the, the benefit to society and, the, you know, the impact it's going to have on children's mental health, eventually we were successful and we got funding from the Disruptive Technology Innovation Fund. So we have uh, we got 2.8 million euro non-dilutive grant from the from the government through the DTIP and we matched it with 1.67 million private funding. So long story short, we ended up starting our development project uh, there at the start of May. So we now are going to spend the next two years developing out the full market ready product from prototype stage. And uh, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll manage to get there in the two years. It's an incredible achievement to get this far um, and it's only just beginning, which is incredible. Can you explain how the technology works? Because over the last number of years, there have been different solutions. So whether that is, you know, a specific modem that your kids' devices connect to, that you can knock off certain apps. Um, There's different pieces of software that you can get, but kids can often get around them because they're digital natives and they're very, very smart and savvy. So how does your technology solution work? Yeah, like, look, you've you hit the nail on the head. Um, so basically, a few years ago, when I came up for, for with this idea, I won't go into the detail on the origins of it, but I did a deep dive into the parental control market to see what was available to parents to protect their kids against cyberbullying and grooming. You know, I'd had kids of my own, and all of a sudden, when I had my own kids, I, I kept getting served headlines of children that had been systematically cyberbullied, groomed, coerced, sextorted from, and pushed into the irreversible. And the one common thread was that parents didn't know there was any problem until it was far too late. So I became a bit, you know, terrified of my own children getting to a point where they were going to start banging on the door looking for phones. And I thought, why is nobody dealing with cyberbullying and grooming? So I did that deep dive into the parental control market. And what's available to parents now to this day and, and was the case five years ago when I came up with the company are all apps. So apps operate on a peer-to-peer system. Um, and what that basically means is that you can download, uh, you know, the best in show of a parental control app onto your child's phone, but it lacks the technical permissions to access other apps on the device. So no matter what you do, you could download all 150 parental control apps that are available on the App Store or on the on Google Play, and they'll all share restriction, access restriction. They'll all block pornography. They'll have geofencing and geotracking so that you can find your child if you have them active, uh, if they have their phone on them. But none of them can deal with cyberbullying and grooming because that's user-generated content and it's within other apps. So I thought, my God, why is nobody doing this? So I started to teach myself about the technology. I'm not a technologist myself. And I realized nobody was doing it because it's hard. And the earliest point in the technological stack that you can access all incoming and outgoing data, which is a it's a permission that you must have if you're to deal effectively with cyberbullying and grooming, is the kernel level of the operating system. And in order to be at the kernel level of the operating system, it has to be embedded technology on the smartphone. So as a startup, you are somewhat confined because you're relying on a smartphone manufacturer to deliver your product to the end users or to telcos who can sell it on to the end users. 
And that was seen as a bit of a weakness. Uh, and that's the reason why nobody was doing it, because you kind of hand over your autonomy. But we decided to do it anyway. Um, and we developed our operating system modification. We took a bit of advice at the time. The advice was patent first, build later, which is exactly what we did. And it was great advice. Um, and that's what led us to developing the prototype. And when we developed the prototype, you know, the temptation was to to prove it working on SMS because that was the low hanging fruit. But we kind of realized, look, there's no point in proving this working on SMS because the first thing a technologist or even a parent is going to do is say, OK, that's all fine. Well, for text messages, but my kids communicate on WhatsApp and that's encrypted. So what about that? And even at that time, when we came up with the idea you know, there was all these moves towards regulation in the space. So everyone knew in child protection that the, you know, harm for for children was going to head into encrypted apps more and more because that would be out of the reach of scrutiny by even big tech themselves. And that's the way legislation was going, was forcing big tech to deal with harmful content. So we proved the process working on, on WhatsApp. And that was, you know, that was the best demonstration we could possibly ever have done. Um, because even though we were too early a few years ago, you know, we're very timely now because you've got the Digital Services Act, the Online Safety and Media Regulation Bill. So, so the timing is perfect at the moment. So that's basically how it works. It's a deep tech solution at the kernel level of the OS. And that's where we need to be to, to detect and block cyberbullying, grooming and suicide and self-harm content. You mentioned things like the Digital Services Act there and the Online Safety Media Regulations Bill. There's a whole host going on Um which is brilliant to see and it's about time that we're seeing some action. But can I be really boring and ask from a data protection point of view and a privacy point of view, how do you balance that seesaw um, to ensure that, you know, you're not curbing all free speech that a kid might want to engage in, but you're still offering that level of protection? Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. And what we've done right from the beginning was we've kind of referenced all of the key child protection stakeholders and all the research they've done, you know, for instance, Dr. Sonia Livingston, um, you know, and what they have, EU Kids Online basically did a piece of research and found that if you restrict access, you basically push your child into secret internet use. So they'll just go and buy a phone privately and you won't have any visibility at all. So all of the research would suggest that you shouldn't put spyware on your child's phone because they'll find out and it'll destroy your trust. It will create friction in the family around smartphone use and everybody's used to that friction now. So right from the beginning, we came up with this, you know, trying to foster a collaboration between parent and child. Kilter is not a spyware, a spyware in any way, shape or form. Kids always know Kilter is working in the background, but kids will have reasonably unfettered access to their device, but they'll know if we detect harm, so cyberbullying or grooming or suicide self-harm material, then we'll alert their parents, but we'll also alert the child as well. So they're kept informed of their own online safety. And ultimately, children don't want to be cyberbullied. They don't want to be groomed by a, a sex predator online. They, they don't want to be served suicide and self-harm material. And it, what we kind of have tried to do is keep children right at the center of this process. And we've built in safety by design, privacy by design. You know, we go much further than GDPR would require us to. Um, and what we do then, once we alert the parent and child, we don't forward the information that we block. We will save it in a file on the phone, on the child's phone, and we'll password protect it. We send the parent an alert. We give them advice on how to approach the issue with their child, but ultimately we encourage them to approach the issue with their child, to go to the phone with the child, open the message together and have a look at it and see how to deal with it together. So it's all aimed at reducing that familial friction around smartphone use and empower the child to take 
ownership really of their own online safety and privacy. So we don't forward any information. So that privacy is protected already. It's saved on their own phone, you know, and that's for a variety of reasons, you know, for privacy reasons, but, and, and also not least, you know, if your child takes a nude image of themselves and we forward that image to a parent, then that's us um, distributing child pornography. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's uh, it is a colossal issue. Like, how savvy do parents need to be to to be able to engage and avail of this? So not tech savvy at all. <laughs> One of the, the the EU did a benchmarking of parental control study in November 2017, and that's six years old now. But literally nothing has changed. And in that study, they found a few things that parental controls that were available to parents. You mentioned earlier, you know, router solutions in the home, multiple users. And you need to be quite technically minded to be able to set those things up. And a lot of parents will say that they don't have parental control set up because it's just too difficult for them to get their head around. And then the other thing that you alluded to at the top of the interview was that they are vulnerable to tampering and deletion by tech savvy teens. And that was found in the benchmarking of parental control study as well. So what we've endeavoured to do is deal with both of those things. So when Kilter goes to market, the journey for the parent is they'll walk into maybe a Vodafone store or they'll pick out a Galaxy S10 that has a Kilter badge in the corner, which means Kilter is available on the phone. They bring it home, unwrap it, and then they set up the phone, go into settings where Wi-Fi and roaming is. That's where Kilter is. So it's not deletable or tamperable. It's a part of the operating system um, itself, so it can't be removed. The default is off. They just switch it on. They enter the date of birth of their child, password protected, link it to their email address and click apply. So if the child is six year old, years old, for instance, we'll apply the settings that are appropriate for a six year old, which would be very different than if the child was 14. And as the child ages, those restrictions loosen up ever so slightly to become more age appropriate. But it's literally a five step process for parents. There's no multiple users. It's one license per phone one user and that is it and we bake the age of the child into the phone then as well so it helps us to tackle a number of issues I'm sure parents are picking up their phone to text in now asking how can they get their paws on it what's the story in terms of distribution and access you you know what we're aiming to be ready within two years to get to market I know that sounds like a very long road Um, and the reason why we're doing this public consultation which we, we just launched is to invite parents who have children who have experience of cyberbullying and grooming and suicide self-harm to turn that really terribly negative experience into a positive so they can contribute towards generating the data sets that we need to increase and optimize our detection efficiency. Um, so, you know, in, in a worst case scenario, we're hoping to be at market in two years. And, you know, the great thing and the heartening thing about this, Jess, is anytime I, I say the sentence, you know, we're developing child protection software, where that detective blocks cyberbullying, grooming and suicide and self-harm. There's never even a question. Parents literally hold out their hand and say, take my money, which is brilliant. So we know that parents really do want this solution. And actually, Amor did a piece of research for us on the lead up to their consortium partner. They did the research on the lead up to the public consultation launch. And overwhelming, 67% of parents said that they would be willing to take part in this research. And we thought that was extraordinarily high. Um, Now, one of the reasons why parents said that they might be a bit reluctant or reticent about taking part is because they were concerned about anonymization and data privacy. And I was really surprised at how the general public, I mean, you and I live in GDPR land, Jess, but I was really surprised at how au fait parents were with the concept of anonymization and data Mm -hmm. privacy. Um, So that really is, you know, it really does go to show you that parents are educating themselves about what is going on on smartphone technology, particularly around their kids. 
Um, so what I would just like to kind of say about the, the data privacy side is we created this, this public portal and it's kids online safety research.ie. And what we did was we separated it completely from, from Kilter. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a portal in and of itself. Parents go on there and we don't ask them for their names or their, their kids' names. We ask for the child's age currently, the child's age when the child had the incident and the child's sex, and that's it. And then parents are invited to submit their you know, chat logs or examples of language that were used and set the scene in terms of context. But there will be no way for us to link back their submission to them. Um, so we all we always say, you know, don't enter any personal information, but just in case anybody inadvertently does, we have an automatic scrubbing tool. So before we process, process any of the, the submissions out the other end, we run an anonymization process named entity uh, recognition process to make, to make sure we remove anything that could be identifiable for a parent or a child. That's names, that's addresses, place names, numbers, that kind of thing. So I just, you know, I'm anxious to kind of let parents know that we have thought of all of this and there's absolutely no way for us to link back these submissions to the parent or child. Look, it is incredible work that you're doing and I can't wait to see what happens next. Uh, But for the moment, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks so much, Jess. A pleasure. Yeah, that was Rena Maycock of Kilter. If you are in need of some tips or advice when it comes to some of the issues that we hit upon there, you can go to cybersafekids.ie or to ispcc.ie. Both have excellent parental hubs that will give you a steer um, and hopefully take some of the pain out of the issues that I know parents face uh, every single day. We'll be right back.